All right, good morning, friends. Go ahead and turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, again, if you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and We are on a journey together uh, over the last few weeks, and it'll span over for the next couple months, uh, just going verse by verse uh, through the book of Colossians. And so that's where we've been. That's what we're doing. Uh, and so I hope you guys have been tracking through with us in our reading plan. If you don't have uh, one of those uh, cards, you can pick one of those out. Uh, at the hub as you exit out has kind of some Bible study questions, a reading plan, some memory uh, verses if you want to kind of go a little deeper uh, with us to kind of saturate our minds in the truths uh, that God is teaching us th- here throughout our weekend um, gathering. But last week we looked at um, a portion of scripture here uh, in Colossians 1 uh, verses 9 through 14 uh, about what this gospel will do for us that we are at, Paul is praying this prayer for the church at Colossae and he's praying the prayer for us today, that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will, that we would have such knowledge about God and His Word and what He would have for our lives, that it would be to the point of controlling us. That's what that word filled means, that we would be controlled by knowledge. And then that when we can, are controlled by knowledge, what happens in us is that we're now transformed to live our lives, the Bible says, in a way that shows the worth of God, to live in a manner worthy of Him, or to live in such a way that puts Jesus that we've been singing about and reading about and praying to on display. The way we endure suffering and the way that we love one another and the way that we have faith in Him shows Him to be incomparably glorious. That's what happens when we're filled with knowledge. This knowledge will control us and we'll begin to bear fruit in every way, the Bible says. And it will increase in this knowledge of God or literally this covenant knowledge of God or intimacy with God so as we're being filled with knowledge and we're transformed to live life in every way to please him and to show him that we actually get to know him better that there's a connection between our pursuit of God and his word and the emotions and the love that we'll feel for God they catch up the more we know about him and then this kind of life change will it will be what causes us to endure Bible says to endure with patience and joy so we won't go back and re-preach that. You can download the podcast and listen to where we've been. Um, but that's the context of what Paul is writing to. And we didn't really get to unpack uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 14. So I want to read that to us. Um, it was kind of something we read last week. But um, I, I just know what's true for so many of us in this room. I say all of those things about being filled with knowledge and bearing fruit in every way and live a life pleasing to God and to, to pursue Him with your mind and to think deeply about him and to endure with patience and joy no matter what comes and i know so many of us go i don't know if i can do that i I, that's for maybe you up there pastor or it's for the super christian that would move their life across the ocean to live in another cultural context but me i'm just struggling uh to make ends meet i'm just struggling every day to not kill anyone anybody with me on that like you're talking about going to depths of a relationship with god when I can barely even find time to open up my Bible. And when I finally do, I'm distracted. Am I talking anybody's language this morning? I'm distracted. It feels like he's a million miles away. And there's just this overwhelming um, shame when I think about going deeper with God and to know God and to walk with God because, Derek, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's happened to me. And I look backward and I see all of the sin, all of the mistakes that I've made, and I say, surely there's no way God wants to be with me. And you're just riddled with shame and guilt. 
But some of us, that's true. But some of us, when we look ahead, you're thinking about what God wants to do in your life, and you're going, I look to the future, and I'm just filled with anxiety. Can I really be enough? So we look back, and so I'm not enough. And we look ahead and wonder if we're ever going to be enough. Anybody with me on that? I mean, there's guilt, there's shame, there's anxieties, there's fears. What are we going to fill the gap with? With distrust? We're going to walk away? We're going to throw in the towel? Or are we going to press in? And we're going to fight to believe? And so this beautiful two verses, this is not even the sermon, this is the sermon before the sermon, so sorry. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. I want us to read this together. I want us to read it out loud. Uh, and please don't leave me hanging like we left Mel hanging earlier. Okay, so let's read this uh, together. Colossians 1, 12. Out loud, go. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see that word we just read? That giving thanks to the Father. Why do we thank the Father? Why? Because He has what? Say it out loud. What does it say? Qualified you. You are qualified for this. You can do this. But it's not look inward to yourself to be better and try harder and you can just become you're like a snowflake and you're unique and you can, like, that's not what we're saying. He has qualified you. The standing that we have before God and the only hope that we have of any of this is because he's qualified us. In verse 13, he has delivered us. That's past tense. It's already happened. You have been delivered. You're no longer slaves. Isn't that good news? Like that's done. You're no longer in darkness, but you have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Like that's a position you're in right now. You're not in darkness. You are in light. You are in his kingdom. He has transferred you. You do live as citizens of this place right now because of his grace in whom we have redemption. He bought you. You were slaves and he bought you by his blood. You've been redeemed. That's what the word redeemed means. He bought you with a price. Therefore, you are not your own. Glorify God in your bodies. Everything changes if this gospel is true. It's not try really hard. It's he has done the work. And this is a reality. If we will repent, stop trying and go into all these other things. They do not satisfy. And just rest and say, I want to find satisfaction in Jesus. So I've got to know the right things about Jesus. And when I see Jesus, I love Jesus. And I'm satisfied in all that he is for me. And I trust that everything he's done for me is true. I'm going to keep coming, I'm going to keep coming, I'm going to keep coming, and I'm going to keep repenting, and I'm going to keep believing. Not for my salvation, but to say, it's true. I don't feel like it's true, I keep dropping the ball, but it's true. He has qualified me, He has delivered me, He has transferred me, He has redeemed me. So it's true. And sermon one, let's go to sermon two. You ready? Okay. So, Paul's writing to people at a church that didn't believe that or at least they believed it but they didn't believe it because there were false teachers coming into the church and saying listen we're not going to walk away from jesus like there's very some of us maybe on the, the edge right now or maybe you're not a christian you're going i don't know if this jesus thing is real and you're really kind of investigating it but some of us are going you know what i don't know that i ever would really completely walk away from the faith but what we're all tempted to be and the colossians were tempted and so paul is writing to this church 
to say, listen, it's not Jesus plus anything. Because there are false teachers in that day to say, yeah, Jesus is your main guy, but you need to worship the stars. There's like a fault in our stars or something, right? There's astrology. Like, we're going to read that here uh, soon uh, in chapter 2 about what that is. We'll talk about that. But they were worshiping astrology or, or angels. There are all these hierarchies of angels. So, yeah, we'll worship Jesus, but we're also going to worship all these other angels that may give us different things than Jesus gives us. And there was just this mix and all these philosophies that were, I'm not against philosophy, but if philosophy becomes your God and all these ideas and all this knowledge and all this pursuit of all this stuff in this world begins to overarch your allegiance to Jesus or what God says in his word, then it becomes an idol. And so Paul's writing and saying, listen, don't believe the lies. It's not Jesus plus something. Because the equation is, if it's Jesus plus something, you get nothing. Because what that shows us is that we really never had Jesus to begin with. Like, Jesus doesn't share space. Like, he's Lord over everything. So to worship Jesus is not to say, okay, I'm going to pray a prayer so I can go to heaven, and I'm going to get Jesus, but I'm also going to pursue all these other religions, or I'm going to pursue all these other things that make sense to me. I'm going to live life the way it makes sense to me. Like, you know, we don't have that luxury. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, what does he say? Die to yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. Are you willing to leave everything? Because if you're not willing to leave everything else, you don't really have faith in me. I'm not one among many equals. That you can kind of just, it's like a buffet line that you can pick and choose religious and spirituality. He's like, no, no, I'm everything. You say, Derek, that sounds very narrow-minded and very you know, kind of just streamlined, and is that really, in this pluralistic day, can we really say that Jesus is the way, not just a way? It sounds very narrow-minded. And listen, it's only narrow-minded if it's not true. You know, we can say, we want to say all planes go to whatever place, but if a plane is heading to Denver, Colorado, it's not narrow-minded to say we're heading to Denver. And if you don't want to be going to Denver, don't get on the plane. Like, there's truth, and that's just one example among many. Like, if this is true, Jesus takes away all of the other things that we could add. And know what we really say, what faith is, is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That if you had anything to Jesus, you begin to dilute the message of Jesus. You don't really have Jesus. But what Paul is arguing for in this letter, and we've seen it over and over again, we're going to go deeper into it today, is that if you have Jesus and you don't have anything else, you have everything. That he's sufficient. He's enough. Because they were believing, no, you have to add something to Jesus for salvation. Or you're never going to have a meaningful life unless you have Jesus plus something else. Paul's saying, no, Jesus is supreme. Paul uses the language we read earlier about uh, being preeminent. We're going to unpack what that means uh, today. So here's the big concept um, that we're going to wrestle with together this morning. Um, we must, there's no option here, so if we're going to follow Jesus, this is a command but it's also a good command. It's for our joy. We must worship Jesus as everything. He's everything. He's everything. Plus nothing, minus nothing. It's just Jesus. Because. So why do we say that? That Jesus is Jesus plus nothing. Why do we say that? Well, here's three things that I think Paul is saying in these few verses that we're going to pack together. Because of, number one, his supremacy or his firstness or his ultimateness as God and his supremacy over creation and his supremacy in the church. So say it again. 
We must worship Jesus as everything because of his supremacy as God, his supremacy over creation, and his supremacy in the church. So there gets really wordy. All right, well, let's unpack. You think I'm wordy. Let's read Paul. It's really dense uh, today, um, but it's beautiful. So I want to pray for us again. I know we've prayed a lot, but really briefly, uh, let's pause to ask that we could see this Jesus because he's going to unpack these beautiful statements about Christ. Uh, so if you'll bow with me again, let's ask the Lord to speak to us. So God, come now, we pray, and show us Christ. The glory of the Father, by the power of the Spirit, would you show us Jesus, the Savior, our Redeemer, our Creator, our Lord. So Lord, I pray that you grant faith here today. For those here that just are questioning if this is real, and if you are who you say you are, God, give us a glimpse of the reality of who you are in the person of Jesus. Or for those of us who do believe, but yet our hearts are divided, wanting to worship and add other things to this allegiance to you and try to find our worth in other places, that some of us in this room right now who are behind the lie and the deceitfulness of sin, thinking it might be better to walk away, oh God, would you show us that you're better? you guard us from ruining our souls, not just our lives, but our souls. And Lord, I pray as we see these theological truths, Lord, I pray that it doesn't just become academic. Lord, all this hard to understand truths about you because we can't put you in a box. You're a mystery, but Lord, we want to, we want to do the work. You've revealed yourself. So Lord, God, please don't let us be bored don't let us just become facts. Lord, I pray that we would all, Lord, would you grant us worship as we see Jesus, as you revealed him to us. Make us like Christ. We behold you today, and that may, may we leave being transformed by one degree of glory into another. May, may we become like what we behold as we look to you. So grant us that grace, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, y'all ready? Jump in. So we were ready 20 minutes ago. You've been talking so long, so let's get into it. All right. First, see Jesus' supremacy as God. His supremacy as God. We worship Him as everything because Jesus is supreme as God. So Colossians 1, the first part of verse 15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So another way to put that that we have up there is Jesus is the invisible God made visible. The invisible God made visible. Visible. And so this is so hard to understand. The Trinity, okay, is here. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three distinct persons, but yet one. Should Derek explain that to me? That's the best I got right there. I mean, I, I don't understand how he can be three in one. And there's a lot of complexities that we could go deep. This is not a sermon on the Trinity, um, so I don't have time to unpack all of that. But as Christians, it's fundamental that we believe that God is one. There's one Lord, but there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so God, we can't see God. So maybe some of you have said, I would believe if God would just show up and show himself to me. Like, what's he like? And he wants me to give everything to him. I can't see him. Like, how can I put my faith in someone that I have never seen? And what Paul is saying is the beautiful aspects of Christ is that God became a man. And he showed us what it really looks like to reflect God. He is the image of 
God. And so if you're here and you're skeptical, or maybe those of us that have, been grown, have grown up in church and been saved for decades, this is a good exercise for us. If you want to try to figure out God, don't just start with God in the kind of just general sense. God is creator or all-powerful because all religions go there. Start with Jesus. If you start with Jesus, you look at what he's like. If you want to know who God is like, the person and work of, of God, look at Christ. You see that he's compassionate. We wouldn't expect this all-powerful God to be compassionate. He's a God who goes to places that no one else would go to. Study the life and the teachings of Jesus. If you're curious to understand, who is this God? And it must be God, Father, God, Son, and God, the Spirit, because they have everything they need in themselves, that God in himself is gracious. He's loving, meaning he loves the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son and the Father, and they're in perfect unity and perfect love in eternity. So let's go back to eternity, that God has existed in Himself. So why did He create everything? It was not because He needed anything. It wasn't because God was lonely and He had to create something, some people to worship and praise Him. Like No, God had everything He needed in Himself. And He is loving because He is Trinity. That's so hard to grab our mind around. But that's how big he is. That's how beautiful he is. He is the image of the invisible God. An image does not just mean kind of like God or showing us God, because Hebrews 1 3 helps us with this. The words will be up on the screen. Uh, About Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God is all that God is on display. So you want to know what Jesus is? He is all that God is seen. The radiance of God the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. Another word to say nature is his essence or who he is as God. Jesus is the exact imprint, is the exact same as the Father. He is God. John 1.18 um, says about, John says about Christ, no one has ever seen God. He's invisible. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So this God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, has made that he has made him. The first he, you know, I feel like you're in seminary, okay, I'm sorry. The first he is Jesus. And the second he is the Father, the invisible God. Jesus has made the Father known. You want to know what God's like? Look to Jesus. You can't see God, but you can see Jesus. You can see his life. You can have evidence and historical records of who christ is you want to know who god is look to jesus john 14 9 jesus says of himself this is one example among many where christ claims clearly to be god in the flesh whoever has seen me jesus says has seen the father has seen the father you want to know what god's like look to jesus john 17 he prays to the father he says god got me and the father are one and we have been one throughout eternity. And so I'm asking that you would make them one as we are one. It's a beautiful, beautiful understanding of the Trinity. And this is this idea of the image of God. He is the image of God. And so you may have heard the Imago Day. Anybody heard that? That we are created in the image of God? We are. But not like this. This is different. You say, Derek, you're, you're getting over my head here. Let's fight to believe. This is so important. So important. What he's saying is that Adam our first human, was created to reflect the characters of God. But what happened? Sin happened. He didn't want to reflect God. He didn't want to be satisfied in God. And so now we're all walking around as mirrors, reflecting God, but now it's all broken. We don't reflect God like we should. So now Christ is coming in to say, 
I am God. I'm going to show you who God is because I am God, but I'm going to do so by coming in the flesh. Fully God, the exact imprint of his nature, but fully man, walking around as a human. And what he's doing is saying, I'm the fullness of God, but I'm doing so as a full human to restore everything that you and I have broken. Everything that we've broken. We're no longer good image bearers. So Jesus is the true and better image. He really is the image of God. He says, here's what it looks like for a human to be perfectly submitted to the Father. We see what our lives could look like if we were under the lordship of Jesus. And that's why we say all the time, it's why Mel's praying it, it's why we say it on repeat, is that we're trying to become like who? Jesus. He is the image of God. And if we're ever going to be restored into God's image, the way we were intended, it's only going to be through the person and work, namely the death and resurrection of Christ for us, that we are being restored because Christ is God in the flesh. Whew. It's beautiful. Only God could do this. Like God has entered in to human history for our salvation. So because of that, if he is God, he's the exact imprint of his nature, all of that just to say Jesus is God. If that's true, he deserves all worship. The one true God deserves all praise. He's worth everything. That's why we don't add anything to him because we don't need anything if we have God. So that's why he says in verse, the last part of verse 15, Jesus is not just the image of the invisible God, but he's the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Now listen, this does not mean that Jesus was created. He wasn't firstborn like my son Bo is my firstborn. That's not what this means. And actually, a lot of heresies have began because of this verse. So throughout church history and even today, there's people who would say Jesus was not God because of this verse. He's the firstborn of all creation. He was created at a point in time. So we celebrate with with Christmas and he came as a little baby and that was when Jesus started. (laughs) And that's not what this is saying uh, at all because here's what firstborn means. Okay, Firstborn means not just referring to first in regards to time. He didn't just kind of happen. And that's when he came into existence. Firstborn means first in regards to priority. And first in regards to rights. So think um, back Old Testament. The firstborn son had all of the rights and the privileges of the family. The firstborn got all the rights, the inheritance, the, the power, the esteem that came. So the father gave the firstborn son more worth, significance than all of the other kids uh, after that. This is kind of Jewish culture so if jesus is firstborn it means that he is preeminent that he has the rights to rule and reign and have the inheritance of all things so an example of this is psalm 89 27 the words will be up on the screen um, i will make him this is about david uh, the firstborn there it is the highest of the kings of the earth that's the idea of firstborn if you're firstborn you are the highest privilege the highest authority the highest rights so you say, Derek, what does that mean? Like, how does that mean anything about Jesus? Well, if Jesus is firstborn over all creation, it does not just mean he's kind of first in the list of all the other stuff of creation. He's just kind of a, a better version of everything else he made. No, it means that he has the right and the authority and the privilege to rule and reign over everything and over everyone. That's what this means. So Jesus was never created. So just to kind of a little apologetics here about all the false religions that would say this means Jesus kind of came into being at a point in time. Jesus himself, John 8, 58, 
was never created. So he said, I love this interchange with the religious leaders of that day. So the Jews said to Jesus, you are not 50 years old. You young whippersnapper, basically is what they mean. And have you seen Abraham? Because Jesus is referring to Abraham. He's kind of the father of their faith. Abraham was everything. Verse 58, I love Jesus' reply. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? I am. He goes, you're saying I'm not 50, so how could I know Abraham? Listen, before Abraham existed, I am. Abraham is past tense. He was. He's dead. He's in the grave. But I was eternal. There's never a point that I wasn't. I am. And that word I am literally is the word for God. It's Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. He's claiming. He says, Abraham testified of me because I'm God in the flesh. I've never had a beginning. He say, Derek, we know all this stuff. Like, we believe Jesus was God. He's eternal. I want that to just evoke worship. Jesus, there's never been a moment that Jesus wasn't. He's eternal. Gosh, it's so much bigger than we could ever wrap our minds around. So, Jesus is the only one who is worthy of worship. Or, sorry. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of authority. because He's the firstborn. He's exalted. He's the only one worthy to reign over us. And, he, and therefore, He's the only one deserving of worship. We look at him and say, we bow our knee to King Jesus. He's everything. That's why we look in Revelation. I wasn't going to go here because I don't have time, but I'm going to anyway. You see in Revelation, who is what, worthy to open the scroll? Who can make sense of all this thing called human history? Who is it? And John's weeping. He said, no one was worthy. But oh, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because he's the firstborn. He's exalted. He's it. He's everything. He's worth the praise of all people throughout eternity because he's the eternal God. So that's what it means. It's going to take eternity to worship the eternal God because an hour and a half on Sunday morning just doesn't cut it. (laughs) Seventy-some years, a hundred and some years of life on this earth does not cut giving the worth and praise that this God is due. He's big big this is not just some religion guys we're not just kind of baptist god help us that shows up in a room and pursues some ideas no no no. this is true like this is who jesus is he's everything so we see jesus as supreme because he's god he's exalted he's firstborn he deserves the right to be praised but number two he see jesus's supremacy over creation over creation so verse 16 that was just one verse eek all right. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let's break this down real quick. First, he says, all things, nothing that exists, everything falls under that uh, umbrella. All things were created first by him. So creation came from the mind of Jesus. By him, another way to say that is it was created in him. So it was the creative idea to create all things. It was God's creativity in Jesus to think up creation and to think up redemption. It was created by him. But all things were created through Jesus as well. All things were created by him. All things were created through him. Creation came from the power of Jesus. From the word of God, all creation was made. Everything that we see, everything that we love, everything that we enjoy in this world, our bodies, all the complexities of the human body 
was created by the word of God, by Jesus himself. It came by his power, through him. So just another couple of passages to prove this point. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's revealed himself. He's made himself known. Whom he, the father, appointed the heir of all things. There's that idea of firstborn again. He's appointed the heir of everything. Through whom also he created the world. So you see, the father and Jesus partnering together in the creation of everything. John 1, 1 through 3, we know this. We preached this when we were going through the story last year uh, about Jesus. He is, or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so different than God, but the Word was God, so Jesus is deity. He was in the beginning with God, in the beginning of creation. So here's all things again, like what Paul's saying in Colossians. All things were made through Him, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. He's the Creator. He spoke everything. And if, listen, if he spoke it and he created it, listen, he owns everything. He sits exalted in the heavens today, ruling and reigning, because he is creator. He's king. So he says, what are these all things? So Paul says in verse 16, a couple things. He says, visible and invisible, in heaven and on earth, thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. Basically, he's just hitting everything. So you got things visible or on the earth, you got things that we can't even see, and in heaven, the spiritual realm, and then thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. I don't have time to unpack all this, but it's the Colossian heresy. He's, they're worshiping angels. And he says, listen, you're worshiping created things. You're worshiping these angels, thinking Jesus is one of them? No, Jesus is exalted over all the angels, all the principalities of this world, and he created them, therefore they're subject to him. So if you want to worship someone, don't worship the gift don't worship the set shadows don't worship the sunbeams worship the substance because christ is the substance it came from him and that's true for all of us today we may not be doing angel worship but we're all looking to created things to worship them to find our worth in we talk about this all the time why would we it's romans 1 we exchange the glory of the immortal god for images created things instead of the created one why would we do that? How silly is that? Isaiah and Jeremiah and these guys would look at the people, the Old Testament Israel, and say, all these idols, like you've carved them out by your own hands. <laughs> they can't speak to you. They can't do anything for you. Why are you worshiping these false gods that are just reflections of you? Like there's a one true God that deserves all worship and all praise. And so Paul is writing again to say, don't worship these angels and these principalities because God is creator of all things and they're just created things Worship the source. Everything is subject to his rule. God is not a thing. He's the creator of all things. And so therefore, everything else is subject to his rule. A couple examples of that. Ephesians 1, 21. The words will be up on the screen. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. This is about Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. There's Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This is where he is this morning with angels, authorities, powers having been subjected to him. All things under his feet. Everything bows to Jesus. So not all, not th- all 
That was really hard to say. Let me slow down. I'm trying to hurry. All things were created by him. All things were created through him, but all things were created for him. All things were created for him. So creation came for the glory of Jesus. It came for the glory of Jesus. So listen, every square inch, look up here, every square inch of this universe is for the praise of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, shouting to us, look how beautiful he is. Look how good he is. He's holding it all right now together by the word of his power. He's big. He's bigger than us. We're not God. It's, it's just shouting his worth. Like, look at me. Praise me. Don't praise the stuff. Praise me. I created it. It was from my mouth. Find our rightful place. And you know what this means? Oh, I wish I could have time to chase this. It means there's no sacred, secular divide. So many times we think that, like, there's the sacred, meaning we have the word, and we have all these times that we carve out to be with God, and there, we should do that. But then we have to go into the real world and go work our jobs and work with business, and we have snotty-nosed kids and bills and all the cares of this life. And what Paul is saying to us is if that all creation is for him, everything, every part of it, we can find enjoyment and praise of God in everything in this life. It's not segmented. Like you're not having your God moment and you're going to go and live your whole week separate from God. Like every piece of creation can be used to see that good gift and roll the praise up to the giver of the gift. What must God be like if he makes coffee? Amen, right? It's a good gift. You know I had to work that in there somewhere. That's just what I do. Every good gift of this life, like that God would give us relationships. So what must God be like? It's all created for him, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To be used for him, yes, but also to be enjoyed in him. As we enjoy creation, enjoy what he's made, not as God, but reflections of God. It says, Jesus is before all things. So Again, it's just saying it again, he's, before, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's everything. Jesus is not just eternal, he's essential in him all things hold together. Think about that. If God were to let go right now, everything would just cease to exist. If God were to let us go, He not just holds creation together, He holds our hearts together. He holds our lives together. He holds everything together by the word of His power. Listen, church, I would have let go of God a long time ago. I have let go of God a lot. And the only reason I'm still trusting today is because He will not let go of me. I think that's true for a lot of us. We would all say that. Listen, we didn't wake ourselves up this morning. He gave us breath. Right now, you are not keeping your heart beating. He's doing it. All the complexities of talking to some of my med school friends that are in med school right now, just talking about the complexities of our creation, how we're wired. There's things that the greatest scientists can't explain of how all these atoms and all those parts that make us us hold us together like how how does this all happen they can't explain it they call it things like nuclear glue and all this stupid stuff like it's jesus is what holds it together it wasn't for him everything would just cease to exist and one day it's going to happen he's going to let go and the world's going to be dissolved and we see that at the end of time but we don't have time to chase all of that but then the third point that he gives us is beautiful reality 
So he's supreme as God. He's supreme over everything. There's nothing exalted over him. He runs it all. He made it all. He rules it all. He's holding it all together. But then he's supreme in the church. He says in verse 18, he is the head of the body that is the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So here's the beautiful aspect of what he's saying. Jesus is Lord over all creation because he's creator. But then he turns and he says, Jesus is Lord. We worship him as everything because he is redeemer over the new creation. He's created all things, but he also has this new creation. That's us, the body, the church. He's doing something much bigger than just creating things and kind of letting it go. Like, because it's broken, Jesus entered into the world. We're going to celebrate that on Friday night. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday that he's alive. And because he died, because he rose again, he's reconciled all things to himself. And he's redeeming it all, every bit of it. And he uses the church to be the agent of reconciliation. That we are the body of Christ, the redeemed ones. You are made new. So the same life, same God who says, let there be light, looked into the deadness of our souls and said, let there be life. And there was. That's how big he is. He's, he is the beginning of the church. So Jesus' death was the birth of the church. He says he is the beginning. It's about the beginning of the church here. Not just the beginning of time, the beginning of the church. So Hebrews chapter 12, this is so good. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The founder, he's the originator of it. So if you have faith today, it's because of Jesus. If you want faith today, get it by Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's exalted. When he died, he began the birth of this church. And then, not just his death, it's the birth of the church, but his resurrection is the hope of the church. The firstborn from the dead. Again, there's their word firstborn again. He's preeminent. He's exalted. And he shows his authority, listen, by rising from the dead. And he looks at us and says, you now can rise. Spiritually, you can have new life because of me. We're talk about that next week, so I can't preach my Easter sermon yet. But you also can rise from the dead one day. That the culmination of all of this, because I rose from the dead, there's hope. There's hope. That's why in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. I've created the church because I have all authority because I died and I'm alive again. I've defeated the enemy and everything is now under my feet and I rule and I reign. So we find our rightful place. So listen, we close with this and I really mean that. I'm almost finished. I can't believe it. Colossians 1.18 says that in everything he might be preeminent. Just kind of a summary, a summary of everything we've just said. That in everything he might be supreme exalted he did all of this that he might get glory that he might be praised that's why philippians 2 we know this but oh i want to read it to us again so if you've heard it before do not check out it's so beautiful about jesus being found in human form he humbled himself what we're celebrating on this palm sunday is that this eternal all-powerful god rides donkeys and suffers and touches lepers and crawls up on a cross because he humbled himself the greatest extent by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Would you see this? This God would be just as holy, just as worthy of praise, and he left us in our sin. 
But this holy God who spoke all things into existence, who is exalted over all things, who deserves praise, says, I'm going to take your place. I'm dying for you. I'm exalted, but I'm going to humble myself in the gospel to do what you couldn't do for yourself. It's good news. Jesus is supreme. So he's exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I'm going to take extra time. And I want you all to shut your Bibles. Okay, look up. I've got this here. Uh, this is from a guy named John Piper. I don't know if you guys have heard of John Piper. It doesn't matter if you've heard of John Piper. It's about Jesus. Um, but he said this in a sermon. I want to read it to us. So if you want to close your eyes and just listen, that's fine. If you want to, if you help to like stare at me, it's kind of creepy because I'm just like reading. It's kind of weird to y'all stare at me. Just do whatever you got to do, okay? Uh, and we're entering into a response. When I finish this, we're going to pray, okay? So I want to read it to us. Listen to what Piper's saying about the supremacy of Christ. Look at Jesus. So please, don't get distracted. It might be long. Okay, just don't get distracted. Listen to who he is and ask yourself, am I surrendered to him? Has my knee bowed to him? Is he my everything? What would look different in my life if I believed this? Let's see Jesus today. Piper says, my prayer is that you will know, that you will press on to know the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of his deity, equal with God the Father in all of his attributes, the radiance of his glory and the exact image of his nature, the supremacy of his, of his eternality, that makes the mind want to explode with the imponderable thought that Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He is simply there. Absolute reality with which we must reckon. We must rise to the supremacy of His eternality while all the universe, including this building and your body and this earth and all the galaxies are fragile like a shadow in comparison to the substance of Jesus. We must know the supremacy of his never-changing constancy. Oh, to have virtues that never change. A character whose commitment is constant yesterday, today, and forever. Let us know the supremacy of his knowledge that makes the Library of Congress look like a matchbox and makes all the information of the internet look like a 1940s farmer's almanac and makes all of quantum physics and everything that Stephen Hawking has ever dreamed look like a first-grade reader. Love it. We must know the supremacy of the knowledge of our Lord. We must know the supremacy of his wisdom that has never been perplexed by any problem whatsoever, nor can he be counseled by any person. We must know the supremacy of his authority. All authority is mine in heaven and on earth and under the earth. No change. All authority. Changing times and changing season, removing kings and presidents and setting up kings and presidents, doing according to his will in the host of heaven and among the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We must know the supremacy of his providence, without which not a single bird in the extended reaches of the Amazon forest has ever fallen off any limb, and without which not one hair turns white or black. We must know the supremacy of his word, which upholds the universe by the word of his power. All the galaxies and molecules and atoms and subatomic reality, nobody is yet dreamed of down there where no one has yet looked. 
We must know the supremacy of his power to walk on water and cleanse lepers and heal the lame and open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf and cause storms to cease. And with two words to raise the dead, Lazarus, come forth. Or one word to raise the dead. In your blood I said to you, live. We must know the supremacy of his purity. He never sinned. He never sinned. He never had one millisecond of a bad attitude or sinful lust. We must know the supremacy of his trustworthiness. He never breaks a promise. He always keeps his word, absolutely, without fail. We must know the supremacy of his justice. He will render all accounts settled in the end. In the universe, either on the cross or in hell, no injustice will remain when Christ is finished with his supreme justice. We must know the supremacy of his patience. He has endured you, and he's endured me for decades. He's endured this city. Can you imagine why the sun rose on this city this morning, this wicked city, this world so full of us sinners? And he makes paradise rise in the sky every day. What kind of patience are we dealing with here? We must know the supremacy of his servant-like sovereign obedience who kept every one of his father's commands absolutely and in the end embraced the cross with total willingness We must know the supremacy of his meekness and lowliness and tenderness. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering flax. We must know the supremacy of his wrath. One day it will explode on this world from heaven such that all who have rejected him will call for rocks to crush them lest they have to face the wrath of the Lamb. We must know this. When I look at the beheadings and I hear someone ask, where is your supreme Christ? My answer is really easy. He is in heaven storing up almighty wrath and fury to pour out on all of those who would commit such sins. That is where he is. We must know the supremacy of his grace, which gives to the spiritual dead rebels like us life. He wakens faith in hell-bound haters of God. And he justifies the ungodly with his own righteousness. We must know the supremacy of his love, which dies for us, church. Listen, while we were yet sinners and gives to us absolutely undeserving the ability of ever-increasing joy and making much of Him. We must know the supremacy of His gladness and the fellowship of the Trinity, infinite power, infinite joy, rising, spilling over in the creation of a universe and becoming for you one day an inheritance of every struggling saint. We must know that this is what we were made for. Press on to know the Lord. We are made to know Christ We are not made to do little, diddly things. Now, coming to a close, listen. We are made to know this massive Christ. This world is a little two-second slice, and then we're with Him or we're not with Him forever. It is what we are created to know and do and be about. And when we know Him in those ways, we have begun to know the outskirts of His supremacy for time would fail to speak of His supreme severity invincibility and dignity and simplicity and complexity. Is there, if there's anything is admirable, if there's anything worthy of praise in all the universe, it is summed up in Jesus. He is always infinitely admirable in everything and over everything, over all galaxies and endless reaches of space, over the earth from the top of Mount Everest to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. He is sovereign and supreme over all plants and animals, all of creation, all tornadoes and earthquakes and Rain and flood, he's supreme over all chemical processes that heal or destroy, cancer, age. He's sovereign over all. 
He's supreme over all countries and governments and armies. He's supreme over Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the terrorists and the kidnappings and the suicide bombings and the beheadings. He's supreme over all nuclear threats from Russia and North Korea. He's supreme over politics and elections and debates in November. He's supreme over media and news and entertainment and sports and leisure, over all education and whatever they teach. He's supreme over all business and finance and industry and transportation. He's supreme over the internet and all informational systems. And he closes with this. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not one square inch on planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not say mine. It's all his. He reigns over it all and he's supreme over it all. So let's worship him. So bow with me. And I want us just to just feel that, just to feel how big he is. And there should be a shrinking feeling going on in the room. Like, that's not me. Like, I'm not supreme over any of those things. I feel so inadequate and so tired. Listen, he's supreme over everything. Jesus is worth your worship. Do you know him? Have you bowed your knee to him? Is he your delight? Is he just some facts that you grew up hearing about? Or do you know this God? Is he your everything? Is he you worshiping him? And if you're not, what's keeping you today from just fully surrendering to this Jesus? He's supreme. He is God. He reigns over all things. And he's supreme over the church. He's re- caused us to be made alive. If you will just turn, put faith in him. So I invite you to do that right now in your seat. If you don't know Christ, like you can do that today. You don't need me to lead you in anything. You can just cry out, God, save me. And he will. He will. He'll change you. If you have more questions, you go, Derek, I don't understand all this. I need to talk. Like, let's talk. After the service, I'll be here. Let's just have a chat. If we can't get to it today, if you're too, it's too awkward to talk with all these people around, I'll buy lunch, coffee this week. Let's talk about what this supreme Jesus means for your life. But for all of us who have placed faith in Christ, He is Lord over your life. He's Lord over all things. What areas of our life that we need to just submit again to Jesus, to give it to Him. Stop controlling or trying to control your life. We make really terrible gods. He makes a really good one. The only one. Trust Him. He's supreme. He's everything. He's better Whatever, maybe somebody right now is just thinking about walking away from it all. See Jesus. He's beautiful. Ask God. If you're having doubts today, God, let me see you. And if this is true, church, listen. It means that our lives ought to look differently. We sacrifice all things, the loss of everything, to make him be seen as as beautiful as he is. So is your life counting for that? You living for yourself? Am I living for myself? Or are we living for Him, His worth to be put on display? So as we sing this song, Jesus only Jesus, uh, let's make that our prayer. Like I want it just to be Jesus in my life. I don't want to muddy the waters or anything else. I want Him to be supreme. I bow again and I rise to make Him seen as beautiful in the way I live my life today. So church, let's stand and let's sing this song out uh, together as a response of prayer.